0: Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Our goal is to help technical professionals accelerate their career progression, increase their job satisfaction, and bring you the advice we wish had been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at vJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick
1: Corty, at NetworkNerd underscore. We both work in the tech industry with backgrounds in IT operations and sales engineering. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Episode 253 is coming your way right now. Thanks for being here. This week, we're going to share part two of a discussion with Russell Swinney. He's a business owner at Interstructure and well-versed in the area of technology leadership. If you missed part one of our discussion with Russell from episode 252, it's well worth the listen. In that discussion, we shared Russell's path into becoming a technologist after technology not really being his original focus. Russell succeeded through teaching others and gaining expertise and eventually made his way into people leadership because he wanted to make an impact and influence decisions. We heard the story of Russell starting his business over 26 years ago, and he's maintained it ever since. And he tells us a little bit about the types of services he provides and the difference in being a virtual leader and an interim leader. We also spoke about the role of the CIO, or Chief Information Officer, and the CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer. So this week in part two, we're going to talk about a different type of officer. In fact, a couple different types. The first one is the BISO. That is Business Information Security Officer. We'll tell you all about what that role is, what it entails, and how someone might progress into it. We'll talk through the various lenses and viewpoints of some other executive roles that perhaps we don't think about all the time. Russell's going to share how he builds trust as an interim leader coming into a company to solve a problem. We'll hear a little more context about how Russell developed his cybersecurity expertise and share some advice for those looking to break into cybersecurity. The full scoop comes your way now. Let's get to part two of our discussion with Russell Swinney.
2: You know, I'll, I'll throw something else out there so it'll break your brain. Don't overlook the BISO role, the business information security officer. You've heard that line before, right? We know several people who have done that in our, in our small group. A BISO is is basically the CISO for a business unit, large organizations, for example, right? It's, it's a lot to handle for one person, so they break it up. Hey, you go handle this whole division, right? And your goal is to embed deeply in what it takes to keep that division running. And the good part about it is the person leading that division is your partner in obtaining the right funding needed to keep everything going well. And you're directly plugged into the business. You're so much more close to the business than even a CIO would be, which I think is an incredible opportunity. People kind of shun, you know, don't know the BSO role very well, but it is a fantastic role that leads to many roles. A BSO, it can lead to a CISO role. It can lead to a CIO role. It can lead to a COO role or a divisional vice president role. Think of manufacturing, for example. A BSO is charged with securing the operation entirely. So they have to have a, a expert knowledge of every component, human and technical, uh, and how to keep them functional, safe, secure. And it can be a game changer in terms of knowledge, is my point. They know how to run, how the entire division runs, say in manufacturing, they know, that a whole, they know how the whole plant runs and works and what what it takes to make it run best. They're in the, in the weeds of securing all of those devices, which is a myriad of things. That has got to be so much more fun than a CISO, right? Because you get to make things, right? You you get to run. The, if you do a good job of that, you can take over and run the whole plant, a division for a company. I know it pays better than a CISO, but you're also going to make stuff. You're not just the costs anymore. Epiphany here, you become a profit center. So if you think of cybersecurity as part of a profit center, the game changes.
1: I like how you did that because we started with CIO and CISO and then we backed into BISO. If I'm the essentially the CISO for a business unit, I could go to COO, CIO, CISO. So before I'm a information security officer for a business unit, I'm guessing someone could come with a deep cybersecurity knowledge and a good knowledge of people in process into that. But I'm also wondering if maybe somebody with a deep manufacturing system process knowledge could get there and take on the security part and learn that. Are you seeing people go into that from both sides?
2: Oh, my goodness. People come from out of the woodwork. The key is giving them the opportunity, training, mentorship along the way. And if they have a passion for what they're learning and they can see where it's going, it won't take long. They're going to they're gonna realize, well, wait a minute. I know how all this stuff works yeah, I'm in charge here. They'll probably not say that, but they gain an understanding of how everything works and goes together. And if for that division, I mean, who could beat it? That's a great leader in the future. Teach them some people skills, great opportunity.
0: I think this is the second time that someone has talked to us about being kind of that leader within a business unit. And I think it's, it's maybe overlooked and maybe we don't talk about it or think about it enough. You know, this might, Date or age me, but I remember when you know GE was the largest company in the world. You know they made light bulbs and nuclear power plants, right? The different divisions of that, like, probably had very, very different you know requirements um, as far as operations and information and information security. And so I can definitely see how a specialization within the specific needs of a business unit could be like a, a massive massive stepping stone. Even working at a company that recognizes that and then rotates one through multiple business units to kind of get maybe a a wide exposure to the different, you know, important parts of the business and how they operate and and get some depth in each of those businesses could be a a stepping stone to uh, taking a a more high-level executive role.
2: Absolutely. In fact, if you find yourself in a role where you've gained expertise in a division so that you know how it operates fully and you begin being placed in other divisions just to expand your knowledge, you're on track to be president of the company, hands down.
1: I guess I have never seen a job description with BISO on it. I'm going to start looking for those because that that was a new one to me. Fascinating.
2: I will say on on the BISO role, it's a great path. So if you're if you have technical expertise, if you've been if even if you're kind of you've been doing the technical side, you've gained expertise in administering some platforms, uh, some systems, and you have an opportunity to do the BSO role. It's an excellent role to learn and and go deep because you'll go deep into the what makes the business work. And again, making that change, you've moved from cost center to profit center, and that gives you a business ass, business perspective that can serve you very well no matter what you do. And you can still build and gain the technical skills because you're going to have to, but it's also, it's it's technical skills for a purpose, for a business purpose.
0: It's a revelation, I think, because I think both Nick and I have worked for organizations where every business unit had their own office of the CTO or a specific chief technology officer per business unit. But obviously that implies that there would be C-level titles for you know, maybe that business unit has its own chief financial officer and and so on and so forth. But it's just never occurred to me that that is the case. I'm assuming that if a a job was uh, advertised, it it might, you know, just specify, you know, executive leader leadership, you know, for a specific business unit um, in the description, as opposed to say, like, be so.
2: You know, I think there are companies who call it who might leverage the title of deputy CISO and and that can make sense. I think given a choice of deputy CISO or BISO, even though it's it's probably lower in, in people's minds in an org chart, but don't let HR's understanding of what you do limit you. It's be a very limiting thing. But you know, it's like a deputy CISO. So it can it could be called either one, honestly. But I think the, the BISO title is something you can attain that has the O in it, right? O is a big big letter in the corporate world, because that means officer. Information security officer. Some companies just have an ISO. They don't have a CISO. They have an information security officer who is responsible to the board as an officer for the security program. And some companies get in trouble for that because compliance needs them to have a chief level, someone at the, at the executive level driving that program. But they try to cheap out and get some, uh, some guy that can just name the ISO I know. By the way, he's as an officer, he's liable for everything that goes wrong. So, don't get sucked into that. That's a whole other discussion. On if you're discussing a career change at the CI, CISO, at any sort of c level, but especially CISO, is to make sure that you're specifically named, or that your role is named in the uh, directors and officers insurance coverage with the board. Think Uber.
1: Yeah, because you don't want to be you don't want to go to jail for some kind of breach at the company. So let's just back up a couple steps, Russell. If someone decides, okay, I'm a I'm a technologist today or I'm a cybersecurity specialist today, and that C-level or business unit level role sounds really interesting to me, the progression path, I guess, would be higher levels of leadership to get there? Because you're not just going to jump from one to the other. What what would you see a logical path being there?
2: That's a great question, Nick. I think the, the VESO role is... Excellent role for a technologist, somebody who's been working, you know, in the technology, uh, the cybersecurity technology fields. You know, has uh, several systems under his belt, and those or her belt how to how to work everything, put them together, and how to make the program work. You know, some management skills maybe, but being in the BSO role, the the responsibility is primarily the security of that division or business unit that you're involved in. So your people interactions are with. Um, all the peers up and down at the at the unit you're at, and also back at the main, you know, cybersecurity Death Star in the company in the corporate headquarters, is you know, hey, you, you're the lobbyist for getting the security uh, tools and, and needs met at that division, right? And, and if they disagree with you, you bring you know the president of your division with you, and, and he beats them up for you. So it's it's a great role because you it teaches you if you don't have those people skills, it teaches them to you.
0: So. It's maybe a little bit more of a background in program management than people management. At least maybe that is the entry background that might help.
2: I think that's fair. I think, I think a strong technology understanding is critical as well, because if you think of a BSO being in charge of DevSecOps, right? If you have a development team, they're going to need to be able to see stupid things in code, right?
0: To know what good and bad looks like. Yes. That makes sense. Even if you end up not being the one that, that's writing that code anymore, you still need the skills to be able to look at it and say, ooh, something's wrong here. Correct.
2: Well, and the tools tell you that, right? Like, you know, hey, there's a, you've left three OWASP things in this code. We can't deploy it. But the goal there would be to work with developers so that they have what they need to write code quickly that's safe to deploy and you, and build the mechanisms around them so they, have, they can work at full speed So that's really the goal of somebody in DevSecOps. I'm not an expert on that at all. I just know that you want talent doing what talent does best and not getting slowed down by what bureaucracy does best.
0: Which is to slow down. No, no, I can understand that. It's like, okay, how do we bake in these safe practices into the workflow to the point where it doesn't actually slow people down from building the solutions that they need to build to maybe make that stuff frictionless?
2: Yes, frictionless. It's exactly the right answer. Um, you should be a C- PISO.
0: I just know the word frictionless. <laughs>
2: there you go. You're already executive.
0: Oh, there you go. <laughs> Throw out
2: the buzzword. You're in charge now.
0: This is fascinating. I I have to say, this is an entirely different framework for thinking about a business than I've been exposed to in the past. So it's really eye opening. As a result, it's it's making its brain expanding. It just makes me wonder what other lenses. That I haven't been looking at the business through, that maybe have limited my understanding of you know what different roles do.
2: I have a I have a couple. I'm about to explore a new one as well. I'm starting to do a little bit little bit of it already, and I've discovered I've been doing it all along. I just never it was called that. C R O.
0: Chief Revenue Officer.
2: Yes, not Chief Russell Officer. I'm I'm already I'm already second at that, but Chief Revenue Officer. If you think about it, I I, I had incorrectly assumed that the CRO was the financial guy or you know financial person who was only worried about money maybe but in reality the CRO role is about ensuring the product and the marketing and everything is lined up right with all the right resources to deliver the goods to the customers and stacked in such a way that you have the short term revenue to get through to develop the long term vision right and that just lines up perfectly with really what I've been doing as a business leader for many years.
1: I just thought it was a fancy term for a high-ranking sales leader.
2: Well, I've never crossed the the dark line to to go into sales, but if the role allows you to move things around, such that product is what customers actually want, right? That's the game changer. So I think having having somebody in that role that that knows clients, that knows the technology stack. And knows what the uh, the upcoming steps need to ha- happen to make things look good. That's that's a huge huge benefit, and it doesn't have to come from sales or finance. Could it could be somebody who's actually has has the chops to pull it off technologically? That'll scare you. We got the whole C suite here. Nobody wants a CFO role though. <laughs> My wife's the CFO, so.
0: Well, you really have to be a, a finance nerd to appreciate that. I think. Yes. And I uh, I think that that's a calling too. I mean. It's also an important thing. It's it's fascinating. I've had, you know, been exposed to the CFO at companies that I've worked at to come in and talk about the business as well as the CRO, as well as the CEO. And they, every single one of those C-level officers talked as if they were in charge of the business and the lens that they worked in was the lens with which the business was managed. So the CFO always talked about, Well, I'm going to invest my money in this business unit or this business unit, or maybe try to make sure that I get some funding for this research, you know, all for the betterment of the company. And the, you know, CRO, you know, was talking about aligning sales and marketing programs for the exact same goal, but every single one of them talked as if, as if they were the CEO and and maybe they were, you know, through their lens of the business.
2: Yeah. That's where it's, you, you need to hug the cactus when you first get there, uh, no matter what which role you have, and make sure that person who also is running the company, like they're the CEO, has at least similar enough ideas that you don't have to kill each other.
0: Goals. You need to be goal-aligned, right? And then maybe philosophy-aligned. Yeah. Philosophically-aligned? That's what I meant.
1: I think this goes back to conversations that we've had about the chief executive officer and or board of directors sets the vision for the company. And then that vision gets translated at lower levels into strategy. Maybe that's at the executive leadership team level. And you provide that hopefully all the way down to employees so that they can see where their part and the work they do fits into making an impact toward that overarching vision and set of goals and strategy.
2: Excellent idea. So you start at the vision level, strategy, tactical is where the, the rubber meets the road. And as streamlined as you can keep that bureaucratic chart, the better. I think that's what the allure of Agile is, is that it gets the CEO and the person writing the code sitting next to each other, talking about the business purpose of that line
0: of code. I like the visual in my head.
2: <laughs> I don't know how often it really happens that way, but the brochure for Agile says that's how it works.
0: I understand the vision, you know, the removing the layers In between, you know, vision and execution, which I think is an ideal. I mean, just if you have an ideal, that means you're working towards the ideal doesn't mean that you achieve the ideal. And I'm sure that there's all kinds of things that exist, you know, as layers between those two roles, you know, for very, very good reasons, but it doesn't mean that you don't strive.
2: I think if you're in a company where you have never every hope to have interaction with the C-suite or the CEO for vision, or, you know, it's probably, it has come through several people. I think you're missing out. I think the company's missing out, right? I think leadership needs to be—we're all the same. We we put our clothes on, you know. We have challenges in life, challenges at work, but we're working together on on this short road at this particular organization. So there's no there's no hierarchy in human being here. We're all we're both together on this effort. Without without the technical expertise of the person doing their job, and without the CEO making the decisions that that, that person's making, you know, you both go off the rails. I mean, you're in this road together. You might as well be friends. You got to at least be able to talk to each other.
1: Let's dive into that in a slightly different lens and go back to your statement about being an interim CIO or CISO. From that same basis of we're all human beings, how do you, Russell, I'm going into this company and I'm going to be there for six months or 18 months or three years until I find a successor. How do you build trust with this team who's recently lost a leader and figure out what the focus should be for the time period you're there? I would imagine that involves a little hugging of the cactus. Definitely. I think some of uh, some of the advice you might give in this area could apply to anyone who is stepping into some sort of leadership role. Because when you step into a leadership role, if it's not a newly formed team that's never existed, then you are taking the place of some leader that was there in some way, shape, or form.
2: Yes, right. So what I find in the interim side, I'm usually there to correct some problem, whether it's uh, a direction or a structure, a process, a technology is wrong, uh, gone off the rails, and it's not meeting the business objectives. So I'm brought in at at whatever role they want to call me. I don't care. Uh, I'm there to fix stuff. So at first, there's really, there's no trust at all. But I think that's great because a lot of times when I show up, there's relief among the teams that I'm going to be working with because they're, they were burned by the previous leadership or they had trust issues with that person. So at the very least, I'm not that person. Okay. Uh, And the first thing I do is I seek seek to start hugging those cactuses, break down barriers. The reason organizations go off the rails is you'll see that when you see really talented people jumping ship. Why did they leave? Well, sometimes it was just bad leadership. So to gain trust, you have to earn it. I mean, it's person by person. You have to be open minded. You got to listen to them honestly. You have to tell them, "Hey, look, I you're the expert in this role. I I don't understand any of what you do enough to tell you what to do. So I'm looking you to t- to you tell me how this should be done, right? Because you're you're the expert in this role, and I'll I'll trust you on that, and I'll I'll support you on it. A lot of times, it's the first time they've heard that, as opposed to being questioned on everything. Making hard decisions, you know, whether it's uh, whether it's people just are protecting the team from the foolishness of, uh, and misconceptions of, of corporate leadership, other departments who assume, oh, those the cybersecurity people, they just say no of everything, right? Well, not true. There's probably a good reason. But if you can start breaking down those barriers and, and help them interact better with their peers across the company, then you've done a good job. Most of all, I just iron trust from each person by listening. I talk to everyone at every level and I listen to what they have to say. What do you think's wrong with the company? What do you think went wrong with the situation? How do you recommend it be fixed? Did you already know? Did you, have you been recommending it for four years and no one listened to you, which is usually the case? I could take those notes and go back to the board who hired me and say, here's, here's what's wrong. Here's how to fix it. And they go, wow, Russell, you're amazing. How did you solve all that so fast? Well, I just talked to your people. They knew all along. The secret is that solutions to all the company problems were were, already, were likely already solved by the teams, but their ideas weren't listened to. That's, that's a key point. And then the other challenge is motivating teams when you have a short time, and it's really driven by relationships and, and giving a vision. If you can vision cast, if you can bring them into this picture, I'm a visual learner myself, so I'm good at describing a picture of what I see things should look like. And also, it's a whole lot of mentoring. I mean, how many people, if you walked into a company that's been suffering you know, poor management or just some technology failures. I mean, there's a lot of folks who are probably feeling beaten up and down. So how do you overcome that, right? It, it takes some mentoring. It takes one-on-one, you know, oh, by the way, we, we had to work for, you know, 90 hours in the last four days and, and your wife had a baby during that time. You know, it, maybe we had our priorities wrong. You should go home, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. How many managers tell their employees that? <laughs> yeah.
2: But it's important to, you know, as human beings to take care of each other. And, and if the company hasn't funded properly the staff to take care of the needs and as an as an advisor, I need to tell them how to solve that problem and find the right resource to plug in an and interim or some way contract somehow. But the other thing is an interim CIO doesn't come in because I know the answers, but I just know how to work with people. I just help each each person I encounter be better. You know, be the person that they know they want to be. Sometimes that's the one with the attitude. You know, hey, you don't have to be mad. I'll I'll help you anyway. Whatever you need, I'll help you do it. And then I, I work with other leadership people at my level or whatever level, level I'm in. I don't, in fact, I don't care about levels. I'm not a respecter of titles. Honestly, I treat everyone the same. Some people have a hard time with that, especially in really big companies. You can't go to that that person. You can't speak to them directly. Well, you know, I can't do. Watch, but I work with the other leaders to understand. What kind of person they need? Uh, I both prefer people I know and interview when I'm trying to hire my replacement. You know, because one of the only things I do is find my replacement. So I find what other leaders have in mind. What would be the perfect person for this role? So I, I start getting their input. But when I first get there, who should be doing this role? You know, what do you think this person here needs? So they immediately stop hating me. because I'm realized, They realize I'm trying to solve the problem in their favor. So that turns an enemy into a friend of me pretty quick. My favorite is to find someone in the company who is perfect, perfect fit for the role. They know all the all the inner workings. They just need a little polish and pushing to get looped into it, right? I mean, you, you've seen this a lot of companies, whether the person who would be great at it, but they've kind of been overlooked for a long time. They don't really have the right conversation with leaders. They may have quirks that you know people just wrote them off. If you could work with that person, help them you know, get ready to approach that role, and sometimes I'll do that. I'll find the excellent person in the company, and once once I help them get ready, the company realizes, "Wow, this this is great." And then I'll be asked to stay a little bit longer to help with that roadmap I created for them. So that that wins big. And then the other thing I'll say about getting trust when you land somewhere is that tribal knowledge is both good and bad. There's there's a great deal of freedom. I mean, it's great to know how things work internally but there's also a great deal of freedom and not being tied to some silly internal thinking, which may be goofy anyway, right? It's like, oh, you can't talk to that person. Well, yeah, I had lunch with them and we agree. <laughs> so it's about meeting the business need. And if you can bring people to that vision the business vision and the focus on, we're gonna work together, we're gonna walk side by side, I don't care what level you're at, right? The janitor that didn't do a good job, you know, cleaning up the lobby, maybe there's a personal reason in his life. You know, let's let's chat a bit and, Hey, can, let me help you pick up that cup. Let's let's think about what's going on here. We have, we have guests coming today. What do you need? All the way up to the top. Everyone's everyone's the same. I, I try to treat people that way, but I love not being tied as an interim guy to that silly tribal knowledge and bureaucracy. The greatest part, here's, here's the final, the greatest part about an interim person is I showed up and you've got a problem and you've got a three-year budget cycle. So if I need to purchase something I needed to have started three years ago on the effort to acquire it. But oh, by the way, your, your building is on fire. And if you'll just give me a million bucks, we'll put it out. So, and I need that tomorrow. So I get a, I get a short circuit, circuit, some of those protocols, which, you know, maybe there's there's some downstream later, but it gets the problem solved quickly. And that's what I'm known for It's getting everything fixed and working and replacing myself and getting out.
1: Now, you mentioned that oftentimes you are asked to cast a vision. Do you ever walk into places who have a vision and they want you to help execute because the person before couldn't?
2: Yeah, typically, when that's the case is there may be some flaws in the vision, or there was a flaw in the hiring process, or there was a flaw in HR that wouldn't let you fire somebody who was just awful. I've seen that as well. I've been I followed all those situations. yeah, I, I like to get my visions from the board, right? If they, if they have suggestions and the C-suite has directions that they that they want to pursue, that's great. Um, If not, they just call me because something's broken. You know, it's like going to the mechanic. I heard a noise. Well, they got to go find out what's wrong. So uh, I'm fine being the one who finds what's wrong. and bringing the solution set. But if they've got a vision to get somewhere, I'll try to follow it. I have to admit, there's been times when the vision was was skewed from where it really needed to be. And so I brought solution sets that were not really a correction, but just a minor adjustment. No matter how big it was, it was still just going to tweak as how I describe it. No matter how big, it's still going to be described as a tweak so I don't offend anybody. But I don't mind adjusting that for them if I can give them a picture that that brings their view into a better focus.
1: That, That makes sense. I just keep thinking back to Ben Fold's biography that I read. He said you need to turn on the water so the brown water can get out and the clear water can run. Get the bad ideas out or the things that might not quite pan out. But doing that will allow you to get to those better ideas, as you said, make the tweak, try and get it right or closer to what should be done.
2: Yeah, that's that's great. The fact is, every company's vision is somewhat fluid, right? Every time the board meets, they look at where, they, where they've been, where they are, where they're going. And, you know, if they need to add a word or two or adjust a phrase, move a comma, if you can, if you can find a way to make a major change by just moving a comma, that's great. Because it's still a minor tweak. And then you can interpret it however you want.
0: I think we spoke to somebody who said it took them a long time to realize that a five-year plan was never meant to last five years. It's just a projection forward of five years in the into the from the current understanding, and that's that's a, a something that needs to be learned right over time. That visions are fluid and they have to be fluid because current events can't be projected forward. I mean, I guess Isaac Asimov would disagree, but uh, in his science fiction. But uh, in the real world, we ha- we don't have that technology yet. What
2: I think is great about the vision statement is that it helps you align so I mean you're technologist all the way up and down the company every one of the company is making a hundred decisions a day from the smallest decision to the to the bigger decisions that require huge budgets they're all decisions and there's hundreds made every day and especially in the cyberspace and technology we make you know hundreds and hundreds a day that, that affect how the, how the company's working so the vision allows you to align those generally right because in any any given choice there may be 10 options. Three are pretty good. One or two align with the vision better. And, and, you know, at least you can get it down to two from the hundred to pick from. That helps everybody kind of start corralling their decision base so that when you've gone a year with the same vision, at least all those little decisions are closer and closer as opposed to some kind of going way off the tangent.
0: Right. Aligning with, with that vision. And then, of course, that makes sense. You, you don't want the vision to, to be too fluid. Because then the choices that are getting eliminated to align with the vision, you know, if you make drastic, sudden changes all the time, then people can't actually eliminate those decisions because there's a chance that the, the vision will change drastically and suddenly. I have a, a question as we kind of close in here. And it's something that I maybe I just missed asking or, or didn't understand was, the transition from providing CIO services to both CIO and CISO services, was that something that was planned early on because you had like information security and, and cybersecurity, you know, knowledge and background? Or or did you add that to your repertoire first by kind of providing those executive level services and then adding in the knowledge to provide the executive level services for information security as well afterwards?
2: The answer is yes. Great question, John. I'm glad you asked that one. That's a good one. When I started doing quote unquote cybersecurity, it wasn't called cybersecurity, it was just called secure networking. You had to have passwords. You had to have, you know, connections that couldn't be gotten into some back channel and so forth. So it was just good technology practice at the time. And then it became called cybersecurity. So I spent 15 years, um, you know, what I considered technology consulting center CIO role. That was obviously included a, a great deal of security. And then, you know, the cybersecurity terms was got to be really big. So I, I went out and took the CISP test and um, passed that. So I was like, well, I, I must know what I'm doing, right? So that kind of spurred me on, let's call it that. Let's, let's call this not just CIO services, but CIO CISO services. And to that point, I mean, yeah, I came up to the technical side. And, and man, then management and then, you know, backfed that with the uh, cyber information, official cyber information, not just what I knew. But any good CIO is going to have just a boatload of cyber experience or understanding. It's just important in today's world, right? You couldn't be a CIO of a major corporation without having a thorough understanding of at least the concepts involved in cybersecurity.
0: Got it. So your experience kind of started before the branching out of the CISO role uh, from the, the CIO role or before it became really formalized. I, I guess that just counts as kind of uh, keeping up with the uh, current technology and current roles as as things change over time.
2: Sure. I mean antivirus programs, you know, managing all the firewalls for a global firm. So that's cybersecurity today, or at least operational security. So you know and doing it right with the right policies tying it into what the company's actual compliance needs are our risk levels are that was the bre- that was the, the the bridge right you took the technical work that you're doing and you began aligning it with the concept of compliance or risk in an organization and that's that's the thread that takes you to the c suite you know for sure
0: at the same time you were talking i was thinking to myself of course there was a time before the cio role was officially defined so there's somebody out there who had to add the cio title into their repertoire of interim yeah. <laughs> services that they offered
2: yes yes back when, when i started my career we, we had wagons and horses and this is a little different but we, we had security because we all carried you know the Colt 45 you know
1: <laughs> yeah well let's reverse this slightly russell and go at it from someone who's looking to get into cybersecurity. Like maybe I am that low-level technologist or someone looking to break into tech and cybersecurity is hot. What would you advise me to do to break into cybersecurity? I know a lot of people asked us about that at the recent North Texas ISSA conference that we were both at. So what, what would you advise there?
2: Yeah, great question. I'd say start learning. Learn how to learn, if you don't know already. Develop a passion for learning. Every, every day, if I don't learn two or three new things, I, I'm history. I'm history already at this point, right? I, I work hard to stay current. Uh, by the way, I steal back from my mentees. Uh, I get them to teach me things. So I've learned all kinds of great new tricks and new training uh, modules I can go do just to you know keep myself going and sharp. So the love of learning is important. Just if you find something that's interesting, poke around. Find something that inspires you and dive into it. Um, you may end up not liking it, but you might see something else in that world that does inspire you. So dive into that. Uh, reach out to your peer group and mentors, you know, for input on what's next in your role, maybe areas to explore. You know, some of that's obvious. Um, AI, we said the same things about the internet a long time ago, right? Back when I built the internet, it was, you know, our ARPANET. It was going to change the world. I guess it did. But you don't have to go to school either, Right. Some of the best people uh, doing the jobs today, you know, they they taught themselves or they just began working in in an organization that needed them to do platform or uh, administer some tool. Free training, tryhackme.com, I've learned about and uh, great resource to get started. If you're just new getting into it, get a mentor for sure. Work with people in the same boat, learn together. That's really helpful. I'm a visual learner, but I'm also a shared people learner. So if two of us are learning learning something together, I learned so much better, and it's more fun, right? You may it just may happen that you are working with somebody else. You come up with this idea, you try a couple of things. Next thing you know, you you know your Facebook. But don't write off the nerd next to you; uh, they may they may have the answer you need. Let's see, breaking in I can go a long way there. But even if if you're just getting started, learn a technology. You know, whether a platform I am. Pam, learn let's learn what the acronyms mean. Uh, some of those uh, utilities used in our world. Certifications, certifications are great. I like certifications just because, I'll go get one every now and then because I, I, it challenges me. It forces me to learn the way a structure would have me learn it, right? And then to test me on it. Now granted, even the hardest tests aren't anywhere near to real life, right? <laughs> real life is a real kick in the head. But uh, the certifications help as, as an indicator that you can, you can learn, uh, that to me is a big deal. Cybersecurity frameworks, what a great source for learning. Man, I, that's where I go to learn things too, right? I'll take one of the many uh, frameworks and dive into a pillar. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of detail there, right? You can you can get lost in it. But it, kind of find your way through those threads and pick one. Uh, start with CIS or something that uh, is doable, if you will. You can run it in your own house kind of thing to dive into a pillar and just kind of see how, how you, what you can learn about it. Uh, I think some of this goes into how I learn, right? You know, where, where do I get my educating myself. And that is, you know, anywhere I can learn something new about the current technologies, new ideas. I go to conferences quite a bit. Some people avoid vendors at, at conferences. I love the vendors. I seek them out with a passion. And I look for the ideas of the new vendors that have, have some new solution, right? They've solved some problem with an innovative idea. I, I want to find out what that is. I want to see it. Uh, then I seek out the old vendors, you know, who I've written off because they haven't done anything they haven't spent properly in R&D for years, right? So I, I look at them up and if they've revamped and if they've got new funding and they've done R&D properly, they're expanding the platform in a way that's meaningful and impactful with an innovative roadmap, I love that. That's that's really exciting to me because they're known vendors and they're still around. So they must not have totally sucked off the edge. They can they can come back and they've, they've got a plan to move forward. I just met one recently, spent a day with their executive briefing center. i I just tickled with excitement to see what comes next out of those out of those folks. I meet other people at conferences that are my peers or are just getting in. I met a couple of new mentees at the, the ISA conference recently, and I've learned a lot from them already. Thanks, guys, if you're listening. We do a lot of cyber happy hours here in the DFW area. My next conference uh, that I'm, I'm looking forward to is Data Connectors. I have met a lot of great people at those. That's one of my favorite conferences to go to mostly for the people interactions. And there's people of all levels and a couple of new vendors I picked up there. So Data Connectors is sort of a sleeper conference. It doesn't get a lot of, a lot of the hype the others do, but the quality is, just, is really good.
1: Yeah, that's one we haven't heard of. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, that's a great recommendation.
2: And I guess the other thing is, is a hint that people in leadership are not the ones with the most innovative ideas. So seek out those who are new to the field they're, are they new to being in a, being in a crowd, especially a, a crowd of executives, right? May, they feel, may look and feel uncomfortable. Introverts are the, always the ones with the right answer, is my theory. And all of us are introverts, technically, in, in uh, cybersecurity. Although, you know, I can be an extrovert for about an hour and a half, and then I sort of like go when I go hide under a rock, then I'm okay again.
1: So it's a good thing you're going to get a good night's sleep after this, right?
2: Yeah, l- luckily, it was decaf coffee.
0: Full circle. Make sure to seek out the people who are new to learning the thing, because they're probably the ones who will be uh, most sensitive to teaching you and, and not writing off your uh, lack of knowledge. Love it. Yeah. Russell Swaney, thank you so much for, for your time and your guidance. It's, it's been brain expanding, which is always the best kind of conversation.
2: This is fun. I really enjoy doing it. Uh, my first podcast. So thank you guys for guiding and coaching me through it. Um, I didn't get the hair and makeup setting, but it's okay. We'll we'll do video next time. I'm just kidding. No video. I love the discussion. (laughs) I like the way you guys do the question, you know, prompts and so forth to kind of create good ideas. And the rabbit trails are sometimes the best part. But most of all, I really appreciate the what you're doing on this podcast to pull the covers back. You know, Hey, look, if you're getting into cyber or you're getting into any kind of new role, the fact is, even management, we're all a bunch of knuckleheads, okay? None of us know enough. We all need each other. So jump in. It's okay not to know the right answer. It's okay to ask questions. And if it's ever not okay, you're in the wrong room.
1: Oh, I like that. If people want to follow up with you on this discussion, Russell, where can they find you?
2: LinkedIn, good source. Um, but hey, it, you know, if I'm at a conference and you see me, come, come grab me. Let's talk. I, w- I want to talk to people. Thanks a lot. Nick, John, great meeting you.
1: I really like this idea of learning from others as well as with others. And Russell talks about ways to do that through attending conferences. He mentions a couple of conferences by name, but I think what we didn't communicate specifically while we were having the interview is that each of the conferences Russell mentioned are part of cybersecurity communities that you can join, whether you're a beginner or an advanced professional in the cybersecurity area. Here are those communities if you'd like to join, and we'll make sure that those links get into the show notes because we know that being a part of a technical community is one of those patterns that people use to advance their career. The first one Russell mentioned was the ISSA, or ISA, the Information Systems Security Association. This organization is cybersecurity-focused. It has chapters all over the world. It is a paid membership. But they do sponsor conferences as well as local chapter events. That is the the conference that Russell and I were at earlier this year in Dallas-Fort Worth. Russell also mentioned Data Connectors. That's another community group focused on cybersecurity, mainly in North America. And they sponsor a lot of different events. And you can find some in your area. We'll we'll put the link to the website in the show notes. And there's also a newsletter you can sign up for to stay up to date. I really like the humble approach Russell takes in being willing to speak with anyone at any level, to talk to them, get ideas for how to solve problems, and just try and support them in ways that he's able to do. And really in doing that, talking to people at different levels across the organization and not just the upper level leaders that might be his peers, he is actually doing the research that is extremely helpful in choosing a replacement for that role because that's part of the services he provides. He comes in for a short time and helps the company fill that spot where they had a hole in technology leadership. And it's not about getting the person Russell wants, but about getting the right person who's going to be able to do a good job for that company, meet the requirements the company has, and work with the people who are still there. I love the confidence Russell has in the fact that most of the time, the people still at the company already know how to solve whatever problem's at hand, but it is very likely their solutions just weren't listened to in the past. I think this is an interesting callback to one of the reasons that Russell went into leadership in the first place. Back in part one in episode 252, Russell talked about seeing a number of really good ideas that he felt would be quite impactful to the business get looked over or not implemented. And I think that having that in his mind and remembering that experience affects the way he approaches these situations in a very good way that makes the people on the team feel supported and gives them a voice up the chain that perhaps they haven't had before. That new fresh face is oftentimes an opportunity to get a different type of support than you've had before as someone who reports up to that role but i think we don't often approach leadership changes in a positive way we often think about what we lost even if we lost something that that wasn't that great we often might worry are we going to get someone that was worse than the last person and perhaps that clouds our judgment and ability to make a clear delineation as to how the new person is and and how we work with them, if they can make us successful. So I think we as employees, when there is a leadership change, we ought to try and keep an open mind that it could really be a good thing. It might not be, of course, we all know that. But instead of always thinking about the negative, it could actually be a very good thing and go find out for yourself. Make up your own mind on the situation through experiences that you have with this new leadership or leadership chain that comes in. I'll say it again. I had not heard of the BISO role before, Business Information Security Officer, but we had a great discussion about it, and you're probably only going to find that in larger companies. Russell talked about how someone in the BISO role is in charge of the security of the people, and the technology. You know, it's a lot more than data loss prevention that goes into something like this. But it's a partnership with the operations leader. And what we mean when we say operations there is business operations. Everything that needs to happen for the business to run and make money, serve its customers, way, way more than just technology involved there. And I think this also calls back to the two types of CISOs that we discussed in part one, the cyber-focused CISO and the business-focused CISO. This is definitely a business-focused CISO, but it is a focus within the business unit itself. And it may be something that you could grow into with some experience. Maybe you don't necessarily need people management experience. We talked about possibly program experience or project leadership experience coming into this type of role. But that could be another one to look for if you're looking to progress within the cybersecurity landscape. And maybe there are business unit leadership opportunities for other technology roles that we didn't talk about. Maybe there's a CIO of a business unit out there or technology operations for a business unit. If you are looking to break into cybersecurity, Don't forget to go back and listen to episodes 239 and 240 with Kenneth Ellington, who happens to be the owner of Ellington Cyber Academy. That might actually be a great place to start if you need some training that is very practical and theory-based at the same time and gives you a nice mix. So I'm sure that Kenneth would be happy to help you, as would Russell, if you need a good mentor getting into the industry. Maybe another way to gain experience in general is to take a role at some sort of consulting firm that gives you these interim type positions. Maybe it's not an interim CIO or an interim CISO, but it's a specific project that you can work with one company on for a an amount of time and then you move on to a different company. and it gives you experience working with a very wide net and variety of people in possibly very different technology environments. And we'll share some links in the show notes to episodes about people who worked for consulting firms that did something similar to this, like Chris Williams in his episodes 229 through 231. And then, of course, David Klee calling back to episode 119 and 120. And likely there are others that just don't come to mind at present. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time.
0: Farewell listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore. Signing off.
1: Adios.